All right, we're up and running, and this is January 3rd. Wow. And it's not 2023 anymore. It's now 2024, and this is our Wednesday night Bible teaching, and we are in um, Joshua. Um, Joshua 6 is would be either the conquest of Jericho or the fall of Jericho. And I read all of this, all the words in chapter 6 last week, and uh, just went through it real quick. And so we're, we're going to go back over some of the main points, you know, go through it again, and then how it ties in with chapter 7. Because chapter 7 is about something that happened during that conquest of Jericho that really made an impact on the nation of Israel. And we need to see it. We need... Uh, because the same thing that happened in this situation, um, we can apply it to today as far as our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those, are, those things are the things that hinder us. That's what we are up against, um, our whole Christian walk, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, <clears throat> remember, when I'm, when I'm talking about all of this, Think about this as you have already been forgiven of your sins and you're born again. There's always going to be people out there that need a salvation experience, and we always want to talk about that and make sure people understand how, through believing on the gospel story of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, <clears throat> being buried and, and, and uh, being resurrected from the dead, his blood, his precious blood, is what cleanses us. Okay, what we're doing here, we're talking about people who are already in the kingdom. They have, they have gone through, have come out of Egypt, they've gone through the Jordan, and now they're, they're on this, and uh, they want to inherit, take the possession of their inheritance. It's this, all this has been given to them, and this is our way of understanding what we're supposed to do. Because when you become a Christian, for real, <clears throat> there's a lot of professing people. I mean, I don't know how many times I have talked to people, especially when they find out I'm a pastor, you know, and they'll say, oh, oh I've, already, I've gone through all the, I've been saved you know, for years. And they'll tell me that, but yet they really couldn't tell me what it means to really be saved. You, you, you can ask them, well, tell me about it. And they just, they don't have it. They just don't have it. They, and, and if they're really saved, there's nothing I can do to get them out of it, right? If you're saved, you're saved. And there's nothing I can say that will make you not saved. I'm pitiful human being. I have no power whatsoever over whether you are saved or not other than giving you the gospel that anybody can give you. And I'm responsible as a pastor to teach it, preach it, and instruct the people that are at this church how to do it as well. And your testimony and your gospel story that you present to people, it won't amount to much if you, you don't have an overcoming life. All right, now, uh, I was listening to a guy... Uh, that came, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of him before. And I can't even remember his name now. But he's from, now you can look this guy up. 
So I want to go ahead and talk about him since I, I, there's confusion. There's people in churches and, and all the different denominations and all the heresies that are being taught. And now that we have internet, there's all kinds of stuff that you could look up and you can watch on uh, you know, the YouTubes and all these different things. This guy, his church is called Northland Bible Baptist Church. Northland Bible Baptist Church. And the pastor's name is Thomas, uh, I'm going to say Kuzza. It's uh, C-U-C-U-Z-Z-A. So I don't know how to pronounce that. And I'm pretty sure it's in Minnesota. <clears throat> and he has a series that popped up on YouTube. And uh, it's called The Trojan Horse in the Church. Now, what is the story of the Trojan Horse? Now, now I can't even... So you had the people from Troy, right? Huh? Okay, so the people of Troy, and then the Greeks, was it the... So they, anyway, it was, it was a nation that was trying to overcome the other nation, and they couldn't do it. They could never figure out how to beat them in a battle, get into their city and, and, and get to them. It's kind of like, this, we're talking about Jericho right now, and how do they get into Jericho, that walled-up city? How do you get in there? Well, God had a plan for them, and they did something that no one else has ever done before and nobody's done since. The Bible doesn't have anything that replicates what they did to Jericho. Now, these people who were trying to beat Troy, they built, see, Troy, they, they're, it was like their idol was a horse. So they built this huge wooden horse that was hollow inside. And they left it outside the city gates as a gift. It's like, you know what? Hey, guys, we've given up. We're leaving. And we just want to present this to you as a peace offering. Bye. And what the people inside the city didn't know, that there was a group of elite, like it's kind of like Navy SEALs would be inside of this thing, hiding inside of this horse. Well, all the other soldiers, they get in boats and on horses or whatever, and they sail away and ride away, and they're gone. And all the people inside, wow, they're really gone. And wow, that horse looks awesome. That is amazing. And so they go out, they open the gates up, and they pull that horse inside. And everybody's worshiping it. They think it's the greatest thing. They lock everything up real good, and that night they all go to bed. Well, then the soldiers that were hiding inside, they opened up the little compartment, they dropped down, they go over to the side, and they opened up the gates to the city, and all of their army had come back in the cover of darkness and was waiting for the gates to be opened, and all the soldiers came in, and they took the city. So it was a Trojan, and we use that today. We, that was such an amazing story from history that we use that today when we, we talk about sneaking in or being crafty and, we, you know, watch out for that Trojan horse. When you allow something to come in under the guise of something like a gift or, you know, something is hidden inside of it that you've got to watch out for. And <coughs> so he's got this, this guy, this pastor here, Pastor Thomas from that church, <coughs> he has... He preaches like an hour. No, 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 not an hour. That would be too long. It's more like 56 minutes. That's all he pre preaches. <clears throat> and his first Trojan horse 
It's one of the best messages I have ever heard on the dangers of Calvinism. Absolutely amazing that he was able to do what he did. He covered all five points of the tulip <clears throat> that I'm not even going to start to try to explain to you. But if you want to know about that, look the guy up and look at his message on the Trojan horse and coming into the church. And number one is the dangers of Calvinism. And it's excellent. <clears throat> his, uh, I can't remember the second one he did. I listened to three of them today. As I was going around, I had my earbuds in, I'm listening to it. And uh, now there's one, now, now, and then he had one on uh, corrupted translations of the Bible coming into the church. <clears throat> Guess what? He uses the King James Version. Now he is not as, what do you say, he's not as, as uh, into it as I am as far as thinking that the King James Version, because people, if you, if you say that the King James Bible translators, were they inspired, if you ask that quote, were they inspired? Well, that's, that's getting a little bit out there, right? <clears throat> but if a preacher stood up and preached you a message, and it's a really good message, you would say, well, that was from the Holy Spirit. Or would you say he's inspired by the Holy Ghost to preach that message? If, 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 now I wish I would have had more time on Sunday over at First Baptist Church because there was a few more things I needed to say <clears throat> to, to help people not think that I'm a King James freak, right? Because there's some things I wanted to say. I, I, I wanted to say, you know, that verse, uh, uh, Psalm 12, talking about the Word of God, the, you know, the pure Word of God being purified seven times, um, I, and, I, and I did that in parallel with the King James being the seventh English version. Now, I'm not saying that that verse is saying that that is what it's talking about. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, look at the coincidence. Just, just look at that. Could it possibly be? I don't know. I'm not saying it absolutely is, but I think it's very, very interesting and worth taking a look at. And if it is talking about that, I wouldn't be surprised. One day when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask about it. And if, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it was talking about. I'll be like, awesome, that is so cool. But I don't know that. And that's really getting out there to say that it absolutely is. So I hope nobody uh, thinks I'm some crazy dude, some crazy preacher. But, I mean, it was all the sevens. And, that, you know, this is what we're doing right now in uh, Joshua chapter 6. It... Uh, <clears throat> It talks about sevens. There's so many sevens in this chapter. And there, I guess there's a reason why it was in my, my mind so much. But getting back to uh, this, this pastor that I was listening to, um, he was, one, of, one of the other ones that he said is a Trojan horse is after he talked about the new corrupt translations of the Bible, he was talking about study Bibles and commentaries. And he actually, I was afraid he was going to say something bad about the Schofield Bible. And that's the only one he lifted up that he thought was good. That's the only one. And he said they sell it in their bookstore at the church. They sell that one. The old one, and then the Schofield number three, which is the newer one, but he really likes the old one. Um, he said, do I believe everything that's in it in the notes? No. Neither do I. 
There's things that I can show you in the notes of the Schofield Bible that I, I say, you know, I don't believe the way he believes this. <clears throat> I'm thinking of one right now, and I don't want to bring it up, but you can ask me about it later. All right, so he, he said, beware of study Bibles. Now, I have to commend my son, Joseph, because when I, want, when I want to go get him a Bible, I'm like, do you want a Schofield? Do you want this? you want that? You know, and he's like, no. I don't want any notes whatsoever. I want the Word of God, and that's it. And that's good. And that's the way every, especially a new believer. Now, what we do is we say, oh, they're a new believer. They need a study Bible. Wrong. They just need the Word of God. That's it. And if you want to, you know, if you have questions in it, you may go to a trusted commentary to find out what other people may have said about it. Because God puts people in place to teach the Word of God. He puts pastors in place to preach and teach the Word of God. And there are a lot of people out there that you can learn from. I do it all the time when I prep for sermons. I want to know what other people have said, especially from, from way back. I, I want to I know. They, they had less study Bibles back then. They had less commentaries. And they really had to get into the Word of God and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give them the interpretation, and the proper meaning of it. But, unfortunately, there's been a whole lot of different views on what certain passages mean. Okay? Now, you know, if you're listening, you won't be able to see this, but this here is a Bible. Right here. This is a Bible. And it's a study Bible. And it's very, very popular now. Look how thick it is. I mean, this thing is really, really thick. The Bible has not gotten thicker over the years. The one true Bible has not gotten any thicker. But every year, it seems like, every so many years, you go pick up a Bible, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Why? Because man has put his two cents worth, and now he's put his $100 worth. I mean, he's... He, there are some study Bibles that you can open up and you have a little paragraph of Scripture and the rest of the page is study notes that a man put in there. And if you <clears throat> read all of that, you go in there and you're like, I'm going to read my Bible today, and you start reading and you read all the notes as well, you're getting very little of the Word of God. You're getting what man is telling you about it. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. So this is an ESV study Bible. It's one of the top sellers for probably the last 15 years. Look, I mean, this is, I don't know how, I should have measured how thick it was, but if you're just listening to this, um, it's, it's a very thick Bible, and it's an ESV study Bible. And by the way, it's one of the ones that he said was not very good. <clears throat> and he, he had some scriptures that I, don't, I hadn't even used before that he showed, that's in, he was doing NIV, he was comparing NIV with King James, and, uh, but then he said, you know, the ESV, the New American Standard, they're all based off of the same manuscripts, <clears throat> and they're corrupted manuscripts. And there's a lot of people who are very upset with me for saying that, and I don't really care. Show me, come bring it, show it to me. And, and uh, most people who try to challenge me on it and argue with me, it doesn't take long at all, and they realize that they are wrong, and they go the other way. There's nothing I've been more sure of. Um, all right, so, uh, 
<clears throat> the one thing that I would say uh, uh, that I don't agree with, I think that this guy, Tom, Pastor Thomas at this uh, Northland uh, Bible Baptist Church, he puts a whole lot of emphasis on the two natures. And that's some, the two natures, the fleshly nature and the spiritual nature. For something to have two natures is an impossibility. It just, it just doesn't happen. You, you, ha you do not have a sinful nature. Now that is freaking anybody out that just heard that, okay? Oh, yes, we do. No, we do have, because of the flesh, the human flesh, there, there, it, it is a sore that we have to deal with, and we're talking about it going through Joshua. <clears throat> the flesh is something that is always going to cause you trouble. But if we, in fact, have a sinful nature, then <clears throat> all we would do is sin. Everything we did would be sin. It, it would, and, and one of the things that Calvinists would say is that no person is able, because they're totally depraved, that they could never make a decision for God, and that God has to pick you. All right? All right, so that means he picks some and he doesn't pick others. Now, that makes God look really bad. And there's all kinds of scripture that talks about that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world and that his will is that all would come into the kingdom of God, that all would believe, okay? <clears throat> so, if we truly had a sinful nature and we could never do anything good. I know all kinds of people who will not surrender to Jesus and they are very good people. They have compassion for others. They, they, they look at somebody who murders somebody and they say, that is wrong. Well, if we all have sinful natures, then if somebody murders somebody, we would say, oh well, it's, that's just what sinful people, people do. They murder people. Do you murder people? Now, you may think it. And Jesus said, you know, if you, if you hate your brother, it's just like murdering them. So technically, you, you are a murderer. But as far as actually going out and killing somebody, very few people want to do that. It, and, and even the people, it, even there are people that want somebody dead, and they can't do it themselves. There's just a story just recently that I read on, I might have been, it was a news thing that popped up on my phone, and it was this woman who was quite a bit younger than her husband, and she wanted him dead. He was very, very rich, and she had a lot of money coming from him, and they were having problems in the marriage, and she wanted him dead. Well, she couldn't do it herself. So she is, is trying to hire somebody to kill him, and she brought a lot of money, and even brought a weapon for the guy to use. Well, she didn't realize it, but she was communicating with an undercover detective. So now she's in jail. She's going to be in prison for a while. But she couldn't carry it out herself. You know, if you want him dead, why can't you do it? Ugh, nah, I can't do that, but I can get somebody else to do it. So, <clears throat> you do not have a sinful nature. And really think about what I'm saying. Yes, you do have... Because you are born, when you come into this world, you're already lost. You're going to hell from the very beginning because you're born in sin. Okay, then you have an opportunity to believe on Jesus 
and you either accept that and you believe on him or you neglect it, you turn away, but it's your choice. It's your choice. You've either accepted him as your Savior or you have turned away from him and you've gone the other way. You made that choice. So, we do have this propensity to sin. We always come up against uh, temptation, and because we're in a body of flesh, you know, in, in the NIV, so many times in the NIV, the New International Version, it will say where, where the word flesh is, it changes it to sinful nature. And the NIV has been such a huge seller for so many years now, gone through several revisions, but it has been around for a really long time, and it's probably the number two selling Bible of all times as far as translations or versions of the Bible, I should say. <clears throat> so all these people have read that Bible for so long, that, and they've seen sinful nature over and over again. But the King James Bible never says sinful nature because it's, it's not even a real thing. Would you get mad at a bird for singing a song? That's their nature. They sing songs. So if a person has a sinful nature and they kill, steal, and destroy, then you can't get mad at them because that's just what they do because that's their nature. That's not your nature. You want to do good, but you fail to do it. And it bothers you that you can't live right because you don't have a sinful nature. You came into this world with just a little bit of light that God gave you. God gave you a little light when you came to the world, and you have a conscience that when you do wrong, you feel guilt. If you had a sinful nature, you would never feel that guilt. Now, you can, get, you can turn from that little light that God has given you, and you can grow darker and darker. Your heart can get more hardened, and you can actually get to a point where any sin you do does not affect you anymore. But you have to get there. That's not how you are when you come into this world. So anyway, uh, basically that this, this pastor guy, he said, you know, he brings up all these passages that talk about, you know, there, no uh, whoremonger, drunkard, blah, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven or get into the kingdom of God. <coughs> and he says that, all right, so, so basically, he's, he's very much against uh, lordship salvation, which basically is, he would accuse me of being a lordship salvation person because I think that when you become born again for real, you change. The old man is crucified. The, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he wants to split it up into... In your spiritual self, that's true. But in your fleshly self, that isn't true. And I, and I just start thinking, you know, Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So, so it's almost like he's so against telling people that they should be better after being born again that he is so scared of that <coughs> that you would introduce any kind of work whatsoever to your salvation, that he's okay with sin. Yeah, just keep sinning because you're in a body of flesh and you're going to fight it the rest of your life. You know, don't worry too much about it. You can't lose your salvation if you sin. You know, and if you're really saved, 
Of course you can't lose your salvation if you sin. And we all do. We all sin to some degree or another. But to still be a murderer after being born again, can that happen? To still be a whoremonger, a drunkard? I mean, when you're born again, you're supposed to change. So that's where I would have, you know, we would probably butt heads a little bit. We'd have some fun, you know, arguing back and forth. And I would share this scripture. He'd share that scripture. Um, But overall... I really like what I heard from him today. And um, <clears throat> um, so I just wanted to, you know, I've been wanting to do a message um, on what he did as far as the, the Calvinism thing, and I can't do top what he did for an hour. So I would, I would say listen to it, look him up, and listen to that, and um, then you would know what, most, most people don't even know what I'm talking about when I say Calvinism. And they think if you're not a Calvinist, then you've got to be an Armenian. And if you're an Armenian, you know, you're opposite. You've got to be one or the other, but that's not true. I'm neither one. I think Calvinism is absolutely horrible. And if you really get into it, uh, and he explains it extremely well. Sorry to the sound men, because um, I'm going to be coughing a lot. And uh, stuff's going around. I mean, I had it two weeks ago, and I thought I was all over it. Now I got, got it back. Okay. So, in, uh, in chapter 6 of Joshua, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city... All right, so we, we already know what happens. He's, he's been, he has given instruction that they, they are going to walk around the city one time per day for six days. And then they, they've got ram's horns. Now, they had different trumpets. Now, these were called trumpets, but they were ram horn trumpets. I'm pretty sure that the ram horns were more of a, it really wouldn't, wouldn't be one that they would blow for the wartime. I don't know. I was thinking the other trumpets would be more for important things. I think they were made out of silver. But these would be more for celebration, maybe. So it was almost like the reason they were supposed to use these horns is because they already had the victory. I mean, they they already had the victory. All right, we already have the victory in our Christian walk. Everything's been paid for, right? Everything's been done. It is finished, paid in full by what Jesus did, okay? So, they've been given the city. They've already been told they've been given the city. Well, why didn't they just sit in Gilgal and wait for the walls to fall down? You ever thought about that? We're instructed to do things in the Bible. Yes, the victory has been won, but that doesn't mean you sit around all day at your house and do nothing. They're instructed to do something. They've been given the victory already. We've been given the victory already. But we can't sit over in Gilgal and wait for the walls to fall down. So, they are instructed to do things. And now, they could say... That's ridiculous. I don't want to do it. And many of us do. 
But we want to be like these people. We want to listen to what the instructions were and go and actually do it. And do it exactly the way God said to do it. Don't try to change anything. So we get up and we walk around the walls. We make no sound whatsoever. And then we go back and hang out at Gilgal. And then we come back and do it again. So because they followed what God said to do, then the victory that was already theirs came to pass. And the walls did fall down. Now we know that, um, now, so how did, how did it happen? <coughs> What's the reason that the walls fell down? Uh, let's see here. Let's, let's look at, uh, in, in 1 John 5, 4, it says, This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus, right? We have total faith in what Jesus has done for us. That's how we overcome the world. Now Jericho, like I told you before, is a type and picture of the world. It's also a type and picture of the very first thing they do when they get into, as far as the first battle they faced, when they get into the promised land. <clears throat> I think that's why they were instructed to, all right, uh, let's see. Let's, I'm going to go over to Hebrews. Now, we've been going through Hebrews. It's been a little while since we've been in Hebrews because we had Christmas, <clears throat> things like that. We had that one special message that I did on uh, preparing for rain. And um, so we had, we had some other things come up, but we'll be getting back to Hebrews but in Hebrews, when you get over to, and we mentioned this before because we were talking about Rahab earlier in Joshua. But when you get over to, was it 30? Yeah, in 30. <clears throat> I asked you, how did the walls fall down? All right, Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. What did I just read to you out of uh, 1 John 5, 4? This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. If they didn't go around the city, it ended up being 13 times around that city. If they didn't do that, would the walls have fallen down? Probably not. But by faith, they did exactly what God told them to do. So, so I think when God says, go your way and sin no more, we should take that seriously. And by faith, we overcome sin in our life because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of any strength of our own, but we actually take what Jesus said, go your way, sin no more, and actually believe that we can live a life where sin is not part of it. Again, we're not going to be perfect. We are going to sin, but never get up saying, oh well, I know I'm going to sin, so I might as well just go ahead and start right away. What can I get into? Why would you do that? Believe by faith that Jesus has given you the ability to have victory over the power that sin could have in your life. 
then the next verse, 31, right after that, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. <clears throat> so Rahab believed. She was a Gentile, but because she believed God, she was saved from death. And it wasn't just her. She had mother, father, brethren, sisters, you know, family members. I don't know all of them. I don't know if she got one brother out of four to come into the house. I don't know. But there were other people that came into her house that were saved also because they believed what she said. She said, look, this is what's going to happen. I've heard from God. Come into my house. Believe with me and you'll be saved. I'm putting this red cord out the window. So evidently when all the walls fell down, that, there was one little tiny section of it that must have stayed upright. And they went in. They were instructed by Joshua, uh, oh, yeah, that, uh, that lady that was, that was supposed to hang that cord out, y'all go. So he went to the two spies. He said, go, go fetch her. And they went and got her and all of her family that was in the house and brought her out before they burned the city. But all the people that stayed in the city that did not believe it was their choice not to believe. They saw the same things, they heard the same things, but they chose to stay in their sinful lifestyle. We have a free will, <coughs> and we make choices, and sometimes they're very bad. But Rahab and her family made a good choice. Everything was to be destroyed. They were to take no, none of the spoil the things that normally they would be allowed to take for themselves, but they were to take nothing for themselves. Any of the uh, gold, silver, iron, you know, those, those metals that they, that they found, those they were to take but to put directly into the treasury of the Lord. No individual person was to keep any of it. First fruits. All belonged to God. And that's what they were supposed to do. Keep nothing for yourself. Also, Jericho, representing the world, we are to take nothing worldly into this uh, Christian walk of ours. We're to be separate from the world. Now, <clears throat> something happened. At the, when, when this was all over, and Joshua said, this is 26, and Joshua adjured them at the time, at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So later on, <clears throat> I think it's First uh, Kings... 16, pretty sure it's 1 first, first Kings 16, and the guy who decided to rebuild it, his oldest son died when he set the foundation, and his youngest son died when they were finishing up setting the gates, so it came to pass. All right, let's go to chapter 7.
something happened that we don't know about yet in the taking of Jericho. All right, chapter 7. All right, so, so this is after all the people of Jericho have been killed off, only Rahab and her family have survived it, all the animals were killed, and all of the, the precious metals were supposed to be given into the treasury. And in chapter 7 it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. <clears throat> and Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. Now, they don't know anything about verse 1. We know, because we just read it. But at the time, Joshua and all the people of Israel, there was only one person that knew about this. And that was Achan. Okay, notice... <clears throat> That, notice how they all prepared for Jericho. Notice Joshua going out by himself, and then he runs into the pre-incarnate Jesus, and he falls down and worships. He instructs his people by what the Lord said to him, how to take Jericho. And, and when, you, when you get here, they've had this great victory at Jericho. <clears throat> you don't see anything about talking to God, praying to God, getting instruction. But it just says, and Jericho sent men, uh, and Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. And Ai is just the name of its little city that was close by. And that was their next battle. Okay, if Jericho represents the world, what does Ai represent? I think it represents our flesh. Remember, we got the, we got the world, the flesh, and the devil that we're fighting against. Ai, I think, represents the flesh. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. Now, from what I've read about Ai, they estimate, you know, I don't know how they figured it, but some smart person said there was probably about 12,000 people in Ai. And it was a little city. I don't know how true that was. But they're only requesting of Joshua, Hey, this, this place is little. It ain't much. Don't bother everybody. Just send two or three thousand. So, your flesh, you're, you're just a little old dot in this universe that nobody can see, right? You're just, you're nothing, right? And I can, I can overcome this. You know what, I'm just going to make a New Year's resolution and I'll, I'll whip that and that and that. And you, and you last a week, your flesh is pretty strong, you underestimate it. And if you spend all of your time trying to tame it, that's all you'll ever do. That's why it's so important to understand that God tells you in the Bible that the old man is crucified. Are you going to believe it or not? If you don't believe it and you try to tame it, it will be a work that you will do for the rest of your life. <clears throat> So Ai, don't underestimate, but they did. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. 
So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. That was quick. They go up with 3,000 thinking that this is going to be a piece of cake. They were so scared they turned and ran. Now, in other parts of the Bible leading up to this, God said your enemies will turn their back on you and run. But now they're doing what they were told the enemy will do. And the men, this is verse 5 of 7, and the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shabarim, <clears throat> Shabarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, <clears throat> and he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Now Joshua is all of a sudden going, you know, they were, I think they were overconfident because of their victory at Jericho. They took Ai for granted. They, they went up and got whipped. And now he is throwing a pity party for himself, <clears throat> saying, we shouldn't even come over the Jordan. We should have stayed over there on the other side. We can't even, we can't even whip Ai, and they're nothing. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? He's like, I got no excuse for this. It's supposed to be the other way around. What am I going to say? <coughs> For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall... Now, here's a good, a good archaic word. Everybody look at it. you got a King James Bible. So all the Canaanites are going to hear about it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth, and what wilt thou do unto thy great name? So, environ. That's an archaic word, we should change it. Right? Well, think about environment. What is your environment? Your surroundings. So they're going to environ us round. They're just going to surround us, take us out. <coughs> and the Lord said unto Joshua... Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? So he's, he's asking a question, you know, why are you laying on your face? Get up. There's something you need to take care of, buddy. <clears throat> and then, then he says to Joshua, <clears throat> Israel hath sinned. Notice, notice it says, Israel hath sinned. Well, in verse 1 it said Achan sinned. But God's saying Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dis dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. <clears throat> so that's why they suffered defeat. Achan 
he, he saw something. You know, he, he, he is going to be picked out. It's pretty, pretty uh, crazy how they find him. We really don't get the uh, explanation. It's just that they, they, they figured out the tribe, and from the tribe they figured out the household, and from the household, no, the family, and then the household, and then the man. Got all the way down to him. So next week we, we will talk about how, how all that plays out and what happens. But what you need to understand is he saw, he coveted, and he took. Think about King David. He saw Bathsheba. He coveted Bathsheba, and he took Bathsheba. <clears throat> In James 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And next week, that's what happens as we read the rest of chapter 7. <clears throat> and um, so, I know we talked about a lot of other stuff tonight and um, didn't really have a lot of time to get into um, Joshua, but I do think that what I saw today and the preaching that I heard from that person um, kind of went along with this. And, you know, we... We have to be a people who study the Word of God for ourselves, each and every one of us. We need to understand that the sins that we commit because we disobey what the Word of God says, it doesn't just affect us, the individual person. It affects many others around us. <clears throat> one person person in a family sinning will hurt the whole family. One person sinning in the church will hurt the whole church. We can see right here a nation. By one person's sin, a nation suffered greatly for it. If we look at Achan, we don't, we don't, we don't look at this and say, well, he sinned, therefore he was killed and, and he, was, he went to hell. No. He was a believer. Believers sin. They do. But they shouldn't. And when they do, there are consequences that are going to happen because of that. So we do need to take it seriously. The Word of God shows us what is right and what is wrong. And we should want to represent our Father well and not be a sinful person because He has given us everything we need to have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for always being there for us and, Father, giving us your word and your instructions to us for us to have a good Christian walk, uh, to walk in victory. Um, we have the instructions of being able to possess the possessions that you have given us through inheritance. Father, we did nothing to earn them. We don't deserve them. 
but you have left them for us. And Father, I pray that we would understand what you have done for us and that we would actually take possession of your promises by just following you, listening to your instruction and following through with it. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.